sets us up for this year. So, gentlemen, if we can, we got it. Bring her up. There we go. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that she had made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of the words. These are the words of God. Thanks, God. Amen. I often tell people that I've actually had two churches, uh, my, my first churches. My first church was actually uh, before I was appointable, even though the bishop and the DS had sent me there. It was a small community just on the other side of Weatherford when you're going to Fort Worth called Onetta. Back then it wasn't even a town. It is a town now. Uh, my instruction was read, just don't church, church, close the church for a year. How's that for a vote of confidence, right? Uh, but I'm proud to say the church is still open, so I did my job. But my first appointment was actually in Graham up in Young County. Uh, the church, the main church, was in the city of Graham. Uh, it was Salem and now Salem Crestview. But I had a three-point charge. I also had Loving, which was about 15 minutes kind of northeast of Graham. And I had uh, Tonk Valley, what a name, Tonk Valley, which is about 15 minutes southwest of Graham. And on every Sunday, I went to Loving and Graham. But on the first Sunday and the third Sunday, I also had to go to Tonk Valley. So I would go to Graham, I mean, I would go to Loving, drive back through Graham, back down to Tonk Valley, have church there, come back up and have church in Graham. I did that on the first and the third Sunday. The Baptist preacher, the church was at, down there was half Baptist, half Methodist. And you couldn't tell who was who until we had a business meeting. So, but the Methodist preacher, we would serve communion to everybody and everybody. The Baptist preacher honestly would not. So they had me come down on the first and the third uh, because I would serve communion on the first Sunday of every month. But I did tell people, and for those of you who know me well enough to know that this following statement is patently true, I referred to myself as the odd preacher because I came down on the first and third. That joke's got to be retired, doesn't it? <laughs> but anyway, uh, even though uh, Thanksgiving is now past us, uh, a family up in Loving asked us if my wife and I, and at that time our three kids, we had a fourth later, uh, if we'd like to come up there for Thanksgiving dinner. And of course I said yes, uh, we would love to. And so we went and we watched a little football and then we sat down for Thanksgiving. And, and, uh, <laughs> um, and so, you know, for some reason, whenever there's a preacher around, uh, when it's time to 
asked blessing for the meal, guess who gets the job? So I said the prayer. And then they started handing me the food. First, you know, I'll just, you know, I'll say the turkey first. And so I took a little turkey and passed the plate. And then, uh, then mashed potatoes came, and I started to take some mashed potatoes. But the lady at the house looks at me like this. I said, oh, that's kind of odd, you know. Took some potatoes, pass it on. Then green beans came by, I guess. And so I was taking some green beans, and she stopped again, and she looked at me. This is weird, you know. And as each plate came by, she would stop and stare at me like, and I thought, this is weird, you know. So during the meal, she said, she said, Pastor, do you know why, did you notice me staring at you? And I said, well, yes, ma'am, to be honest, I did. She said, well, that's because we invited a preacher some years ago who sat right where you're sitting, and as each plate came by, he would sniff it. And then he would either take some or not. And I was going to see if you were going to do anything weird with your food. I said, well, honestly, I was just going to eat it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we had a great time with him. But anyway, I found out why that preacher did that. And, uh, and that's where the ode to the unknown casserole came from. As pastors and with our churches, we have to go to lots and lots and lots of fellowship meals. And inevitably, at every fellowship meal, there is the unknown casserole. <laughs> it's lurking on that table someplace. You don't know which meal it may be or which casserole, but it's there. Once you've eaten it, you can never get that taste out of your memory for the rest of your life. Not only that, but the pastors are expected to take a little dab of everything on that table, so we can't escape it. That's why that pastor was smelling plates and passing them on. Yes, I have had my share of the unknown casserole. To be honest, you never know where it's leaking, lurking on that table. It could be a meat dish and covered with a little gravy. Or it could be a vegetable dish and covered with some cheese. I've even had unknown casseroles that were desserts. <laughs> They, no matter how much frosting you put on that thing, you can never forget it. <laughs> and I don't want to say anything too much about the wonderful folks here at Aldersgate, but you know, I've been to my meals here at Aldersgate, and we have our share of fellowship meals at the church. And yes, we've had the unknown casseroles here too. I asked Dustin about this. He told me he's got a secret of how he gets around taking it because he can usually figure it out. But, um, but he said, yeah, there, it's there. You know, unknown casserole. You know, but then again, you stop to start thinking about it. The unknown casserole, while it's lurking, usually it's the ladies, to be honest, that have brought food to the church. Sometimes it's a man. 
but they have brought their best. They have brought their best. They have carefully gone to the store, bought the ingredients. They have prepared it at home. Oh, I'm getting the sign that this thing, I forgot to put this on. Oh, is that better? Yes. Lisa's suspect they're going. <laughs> and, you know, the unknown casserole. And there it is. But you ladies or whoever brought the food has brought their best. In our story today of Martha and Mary, Jesus and the disciples, Jesus and the boys, have come to the home of Martha and Mary. Martha, though, is trying to be a good hostess, isn't she? She's in the kitchen fixing casseroles. While she's fixing the casseroles, though, she's also setting the table, making sure that there's plenty of food for, the, for Jesus and the disciples. She's busy getting the table ready. And to be frank about it, when you read the scriptures, she gets a little annoyed with Mary. Mary has gone out and sat down at the feet of Jesus. Mary, though, wants to hear Jesus tell his stories. Have you, when you're reading your Bibles, have you ever noticed how often Jesus teaches us through stories? He teaches a lot through stories. That's what I do in my sermons is I teach a lot because I think people remember stories more than they remember cliche things that sometimes we preachers come up with. To be honest about it, she was wanting to hear what this itinerant minister named Jesus had to say. And she was sitting at his feet. Martha comes out of the kitchen just a little annoyed with her sister. Mary, get up and help me. Don't you understand? We've got 14, we've got 13 people here, plus you and me, that's 15 of us. Please help me, I need help. Mary just sits there. And then she turns to Jesus and says, Lord, tell her to get up and help. I need help. Mary has chosen for her what she needs. She has chosen the best part. It's what Mary needs right now. It's an interesting paradigm for the church. You see, we bring our best to the church. But in bringing our best for the church, sometimes we can get distracted from doing what is the best, to saving the best part. We at Aldersgate have marvelous opportunities to worship God. Great Sunday school classes. I've visited a lot of them. We have our, 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 our groups that you can belong to, Bible studies. All of those are important. 
Be sure to avail yourself of the best part. Yes, it's easy to get caught up in the busyness of the church. It's easy to get distracted by what all we think we have to do instead of doing what is necessary for your own salvation, to be honest about it. We Methodists, when we become Methodists, promise to do five things. The very first thing we promise to do is to pray. That's the first vow. We promise to pray, to pray for the church, the ministries of this church, to pray for our Sunday school classes, to pray for our praise band. And boy, do they need a lot of prayer. No. No, to pray for the band, our choir in the first service, to pray for our worship leaders, to pray for the ministries of this church, to pray for our district superintendent, to pray, and they really need a lot of prayers right now, for our bishops and the church universal. Above all else, we are asked to be people of prayer. Our second vow, we promise to come and worship God. It would probably shock you how many people join a church and never come to worship except for Christmas and Easter. I never have, but I've always kind of wanted to stand up on like Easter and say, uh, for those of you who will miss the following dates, uh, the 4th of July, Labor Day, you know, Thanksgiving, you know, and go down the list, uh, I'll be happy to see you when you get here next Christmas, you know, but I can't do that. <laughs> but we preachers are sometimes tempted to. But we promise to worship God. And worshiping God is a collective experience. It's sitting in the pew next to a person that you know is fighting cancer. It's knowing that somebody is struggling with their finances. It's worshiping the Lord. We're not here, though, to worship the preachers. Dustin is the pastor of this congregation. But we're not here to worship Dustin. We're here to worship the Lord that Dustin represents. Our third gift, pledge, is to give. And folks, that does mean money. We promise to give. Last week, remember, I said... John Wesley talked about money and he said, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all that you can. Dustin says it almost every week. This is a very giving church. Think about the ministries from everything from the food bank to Christmas Eve. We scattered out all over this city and took 
cookies and sweets and things to eat to people who couldn't be off on Christmas, like firemen, policemen, people who had to work in convenience stores. We send out mission teams. We are involved in the ministries of Abilene, Texas, and the world. This is a giving church. We are called to be givers. The fourth thing, you're called to give of yourself. To be honest about it, a lot of times, because that's why I took my microphone off and I just forgot to put it back up. A lot of times when you look at me during the singing, there's nothing coming out. My lips are moving, but there's nothing coming out. That's because uh, at that first church there in Graham, my song leader, we weren't a big enough church to have a choir. We had a song leader. My song leader, uh, J.T. Wadley was his name. He came up to me one day and he says, hey, Reed, could you do me a favor? And I said, what's that, J.T.? He says, could you come in on the fourth word of every hymn? I said, yeah, why? He says, because your singing is so bad, you're throwing the whole congregation off key. <laughs> so a lot of times, I'm standing there going. <laughs> in my car, it's different, but in church. And I'm not always sure what my gifts and graces are. But whatever yours is, you're asked to give of yourself. It may be to join the band. Or maybe to teach. Or to administrate. Each and every one of us in here has got a gift and grace. And you're asked to give of yourself your gift and graces. Because I can't do what they do. It's not my gift and grace. But I sure enjoy it. I sure enjoy it. They bless me. What's your gift and grace? And how can you share it with the church? And the last thing we we're asked to do is somehow to witness to our faith. We are Christians. My son, one of my grandsons, uh, we've been praying for him both here and throughout the church, uh, has been fighting cancer. But he's now cured of the cancer, but He's having problems uh, eating and drinking. Every once in a while, he goes into a non-eating, not drinking stage, and we have to put him in the hospital, put IVs in him and stuff like that. The other night, he was there. My daughter from East Texas, um, and a lot of you know about her, she's the mother of our sixth grandchild. We have seven, but she's the mother of our sixth. She is the one who has the special needs baby. We've almost lost Macy several times. For many, most children, this is not that big of a 
thing, although it, it can be quite serious. There's a, there's a virus out there called RSV. And for little children and delicate children like Macy, and for the elderly, RSV is, can be, can be life-threatening. It can take your life. So Kylie is very protective of Macy to keep her from getting RSVs. But we had gone up to the Hendricks Hospital to see Logan and his mom and dad. And as we were there, a young man, and when I say young, you know, <laughs> for me, that's anything below 50. <laughs> this young man came in, and it turns out it's, he's the office manager where my daughter Ashley works over at Abilene Bone and Joint. And, uh, uh, and Ashley introduced him, and then she says, his daughter is in the NICU unit here at the hospital. She's three weeks old with RSV. And she says, my dad is a Methodist preacher. Would you like him to come down and pray? Yes, please. I didn't go down because I was a Methodist preacher. I went down because I'm a Christian to share prayer. I prayed for the mom and the dad and the baby girl. Kylie, to not catch RSV, stayed out in the hall. We got on the elevator, though, and a young man got on the elevator with us. Now, just take this with a grain of salt. But it's important, I think, for the story. It was a young black man. I said to him as we're riding down the elevator, you got somebody in the hospital? Yes, my son. He's three days old. I said, oh, yeah, he's in the NICU. I said, what's wrong? He has RSV. We got down to the bottom floor, got off the elevator. And I said, do you mind if I pray with you? He says, would you please? That's the church. In the middle of the lobby of Hendricks Hospital, me and that guy and my daughter said prayer together. That's witnessing to the faith. You don't have to knock on doors or knock on people. You have to put yourself open as a Christian for the radical possibility that the next person you encounter may need your witness they may need your prayers. They certainly need your worship. And occasionally, they may give, they may, you may, they may need your resources, and they need you. Whatever your witness is, and whatever your gift from God is, they need you. 
And God put them there, kind of like Mary. She needed to hear the stories. And Martha needed to learn to have a little patience with her sister. Let's pray. Lord, you have asked from us five things. And sometimes it involves eating an unknown casserole. But Lord, it's important that we bring our best to the church. It's important that we share in the fellowship of the church. It's important that we give of ourselves. It's important that we feed the hungry. It's important, Lord, we worship you. We pray above all else that we will be faithful as committed Christians. In the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.